Good morning. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 23. This is just something I haven't went through in a long, long time. I mean, preached on or taught on Psalm 23. Uh, you can get a message outline right out there at the center counter there at the ministry counter. This is a standalone message. Uh, but one of the things I noticed over the years is with working with people and working with myself is everybody wants to be somebody, right? Everybody wants to be somebody. Do you agree with that? Everybody wants to be somebody. By somebody, it doesn't necessar necessarily mean somebody famous. I'm not talking about that. But that everybody wants to be valued. Everybody wants to be valued. When you look at people, if you ask yourself, we want to be valued. We want to we believe that we have value, right? And so we cling to something. We chase after something. It will give us value that we so desperately need. And then that, that which we cling to, that for value, is challenged or maybe it even goes away, then what happens in our life, we are faced with identity crisis. That's what happens with many people. That which they value, that's which they, they get their identity from all of a sudden, is taken away or it's challenged. They have an identity crisis. We scramble and we, we don't understand why people don't view us the way that we view ourselves. So we continue this chase and say, I will have value if and only if, and that value for some will, will make me think better of myself. And that value or some will make me be happy, will make me be fulfilled. And they said, I will have value if only I could find maybe a better job. I will have value if only if I had a different spouse. And they think, if I could have the perfect spouse, right? The perfect husband or wife, or I could have that. If only I had more money, then things would be different. If only I had, had saved more. If only I had enough money to retire, then I could retire. Then things would be so much greater. If only, and the list goes on, right? Our list goes on and on. More degrees bigger houses, bigger cars, faster cars, more diamonds, more jewelry, if only, if only, only. In the midst of all that, there, that, of that search, there's a psalm, Psalm 23, a beautiful psalm, a beloved psalm, the most beloved of all psalms, right? But perhaps the least believed of all the psalms. So what I want to do this morning, I want to put Psalm 23 up there, and I want everyone to stand, and we're going to read this psalm together out loud, okay? We're going to all read it. I'll start it off, but we're all going to read it together. So we just get, it's only six verses, Psalm 23. Maybe some of you haven't memorized, but I put it up here so we can all be at the same translation. So let's begin. Are you ready? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Please, we say to thank you. That was beautiful. Beautiful to hear all of you read that verse together. It's powerful to read the Word of God together, right? Very powerful. It, there, there's uh, something that happened many years ago. There's a story that goes back, and there's an old story of a large group gathered together to hear two people recite Psalm 23. And the two people that were going to recite it was a very famous actor, and also an old preacher was going to recite it. And as the story goes, the, the actor got up and he began his oratory and delivering, and he did a knockout performance of Psalm 23. It was such that he had it all. The pronunciation was down. It, it had the inflection, the pauses, his delivery, his timing. was Everything was perfect. And when he was done, 
People stood up and gave a standing ovation as he recited Psalm 23. And then it was the old preacher's chance. He stands up, and with his worn-out, cracking voice, he begins to re recite Psalm 23. And as he did, at the end of it, people began wiping their tears. And at the end of all of it, the people went up to the actor and says, what was the difference between your two, two reciting? And the actor says, the difference was, is I knew Psalm 23, but the preacher knew the shepherd. And that's the difference in this psalm. Many people know Psalm 23, but very few know the shepherd. They can recite it, but they don't know the understanding, and they don't understand the shepherd. We don't have time to go through all the psalm this morning. What I want to do is really just go through a couple of the verses and grab some of the truths from that to really apply it to our lives in Psalm 23. This psalm was one of the three psalms that are called the shepherd psalms. Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24. The psalm was written by David. You probably know that, right? You knew it was written by David. Probably at the time when David was being chased by his son Absalom. So it was a very hard time. It was not a good time for David. It was a very difficult time, very hard time for David at that time. Just think of it as a dad. Having your son not only take your throne, but now he wants to take your life. And he's running from his son, running for his very life, that his own son wants to have him killed. So it's not a good time for David. This psalm is a psalm of reflection. David was a shepherd himself, and, and he was often called the shepherd king. And so now, David, one thing we see here, yet he recognized as the shepherd king, he recognized that he has a shepherd also. He has a shepherd king in heaven, right? And so two things to grasp from the psalm, if you have your outlines ready. Two things that I think will help us is we're a sheep in search of identity. And the first one is that we have a personal God. It's so important for us to know that, that our God is personal. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. The word Lord there, it's in all capital letters. Always take note of that, the way the Lord is written there. We're not even positive how that Hebrew word is supposed to be pronounced. We don't even really know. We're kind of guessing it's supposed to be pronounced this way. Because in, it was that, that name that, that we see there with all capital letters, so highly respected and revered, that when they read it, and when they would come to the text, what I'm told, they would either skip over it or they substitute another word there because they so highly respect and revere that name. When the scribes, when they would be writing or copying, when they would come to that word that is all capital letters in the English translation, they would stop and pause and go and bathe or go wash themselves before, and then they would come back and write down that word and that name of God because they were so respected, it was so revered, and so awesome that name was. Then later... When the vowel pointings were added to different Hebrew words made of just consonants at that time, the vowel pointings gave us two names from God that we find. And the two names that it's often translated, Jehovah or Yahweh. That's the capital Lord that we see here. Jehovah or Yahweh, what it means there. Even recently, a few years ago, there was a movement that came along and they basically said in our worship, we have to have really high respect for God. We have to have a word that shows that high respect. And they identified these two words that they said, we want these, these words that we just said back, we worship. And the words they chose were Jehovah and Yahweh, those words. And they even said that when we come to those words in the song, Jehovah or Yahweh, that maybe we should just skip over those words or maybe substitute another word for that. We probably know a better way to do that, to have reverence for God, don't we? Probably the best way to have reverence for God, in, in, in spite of bathing before we write or say the word, is how we live. That's how we show reverence to God, right? How we live. How we live in honoring that God through what he says and through who he is, through what the scriptures say about him. That's how we show reverence to God. The word Jehovah or Yahweh means the self-existent one, the creator, the covenant-keeping God is what it means. And so we, when you stop and you think about the Lord, what it says here, here is the creator of the universe, 
The self-existent one, he is my shepherd, is what it's saying. He's my shepherd. And so when you say the, the Lord, <clears throat> obviously your mind goes to the New Testament, <clears throat> excuse me, and Jesus is the Son of God, and it, he's called shepherd. He's called shepherd three different times in three different ways there. In John chapter 10, Jesus is called the good shepherd, the good shepherd of his sheep. In Hebrews chapter 13, he's called the great shepherd. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, he's called the chief shepherd. But if he's the shepherd, what, it may, what does that make you and I? We're called sheep, right? We're sheep. Are you all right, right with that, sheep? Because when we look at sheep, sheep aren't the fastest animals. There's no Kentucky Derby for sheep, right? You don't find anybody out there, oh, man, rooting for a sheep, how fast they run or anything like that. They're defenseless. They're weak animals. They're not very strong. They're not like a lion or a tiger or a bear or anything like that. They're weak, and they're weak and defenseless, and they really don't have real great intelligence. They're not very smart. Matter of fact, they have a propensity for getting lost. They can go over a hill, and they can't even find their way back. Where are they? They don't even find their way back. So they, get, they have propensity to get lost. Yet the Scripture says, and I say in chapter 53, verse 6, it says this, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So initially to think I'm a sheep, you might say, come on, I want to be a lion. I want to be a tiger or a bear. But sheep, not, not say I'm a sheep, come on. See, please don't look at that as derogatory as the Bible's calling you a sheep. It's not derogatory what it's saying. What it's saying, our value is what we're called. Our value is in whose we are. That's what we need to be reminded of. It's whose we are. And when it says the Lord is my shepherd, that says it all. That's whose we are. And that's what it's trying to get across here. The Lord is my shepherd. That's our identity, that he's our shepherd and we are his sheep. And it says it all. That's all that we need to understand. That's all we need to know. The Lord is my shepherd and I'm his sheep. I belong to him is what it's saying. The Lord is my shepherd. I love the little word that says is. The Lord is, not was or not will be. The Lord is. The Lord is my shepherd yesterday. The Lord is my shepherd today. The Lord is my shepherd tomorrow. The next day, the next day, the day after, the day after that, and so forth and so on. The circumstances may change in my life. Health may change. Everything may change. But one thing's a certain and constant is that the Lord, Jehovah Yahweh, is my shepherd. That's what it's saying. He's my shepherd always. It doesn't, never will change. He will always be our shepherd for eternity. He's our shepherd. And that mind makes a great deal when it says the Lord is my. It's a great deal there because it means that he's a personal God. He's personal. That our God is a personal God. Not this far off, distant God as many people want to say, but he's a personal God. Wants to relate to us. Wants to be involved in our life. He's personal. He knows all the little details about your life. He knows everything about you. He knows what's coming in your life. He knows everything. He has a plan for our lives. And not personal though, where we sense in what people say today, they want to design their own God. And they want to design that God out of creation. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the opposite of that, that he is this self-existent one. And as a self-existent one, we have our identity in him. We have our being in him is what it's talking about. By person, it means that this self-existent God, the creator of the universe, had me as a sheep in mind before the beginning of time. He had me in mind. He had you in mind before the beginning of time. And he chose me. And he revealed himself to me in a number of different ways. He, he did that. And he bought me at a high price. And he cares for me. And he desires to care for me, is what the Bible says. And he's prepared a place for me in heaven to be with him forever and ever. If you know Christ is your Savior, he's prepared that place for you too. And as my shepherd, as my good shepherd, he leads me, he feeds me, he guides me, and he protects me. He watches over me 24-7 around the clock. He never stops watching over me. 
I have a personal God. I have the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd is what it's saying. He's my shepherd watching over me constantly, never letting me out of his sight, always there for me, 24-7. In the middle of the night, I wake up. God is there watching me, guiding me, directing me, helping me, protecting me. Then it says, I, I shall not be in one. You okay with that? I shall not be in one. When you look at that, it said, I shall not be in one for what? What is he talking about here? Well, let's complete the sentence. I, I, I shall not be in one. What about cars or diamonds or more money? Isn't that, doesn't that sound great? I shall not be in one. What is it that you want? What is it that you want that will complete your identity? What is it that you say, I want this? Another degree? Losing weight? A better job? What is it that you want? Should this sentence be, be completed by saying, because God is my shepherd, I should not be in want of anything. Of anything. That's the way we should look at it. I should not be in want of anything. That I have everything I want. Not because I have a lot of money. Not because I have a lot of possessions. Not because I have a lot of skill and wisdom. I have everything I want because I have a shepherd, God, who owns everything. And God is everything. And if I have God, then I have everything I want, right? Because he owns it all. It's all his. Everything is his. So if I have God, I have everything I want, everything that I need, everything I want, everything in my heart's desire wants. I, if I have God, I have it right there. Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee as he's speaking to people. They're probably on the hillside. And they're listening to him. And he's building on what they see. And he says to them, he looks around and he says, look at the birds of the air. They fly around and they fall to the ground. And, and when they fall to the ground, God notices when they fall to the ground. Because you don't think a God who notices those birds that fall to the ground that he's going to take care of you and going to care for you as your shepherd? Of course he is. And then he says, look at the lilies of the field. Look at their beauty and their dormant. They're greater than and Solomon and all of his beauty. They're greater than anything he has. And God cares for them and he takes care of him. And he says, don't you think a God who cares for the lilies of the field is going to care for you and take care of you? Why do you worry? God's going to take care of you. And then he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, he says, so after this, so do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he kind of winds down the argument with verse 33, and he says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The Lord is my shepherd. He's a personal God. I shall not be in want. But then the second thing to grasp from the psalm, that he's also a providing God. God provides for everything we need, right? Provides for everything. There's a passage in the Old Testament in Psalm 34:10 that talks about the animals, and it says this. The lions may grow weary and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7 says, you have not lacked anything. The shepherd lives with the sheep. That's the picture. The shepherd lives with the sheep, and the shepherd provides, he guides, he protects the sheep. So the sheep are able to say, I shall not have one. I should not be in one of anything is what the sheep are able to say because of, the, because of the shepherd. What does he provide for us? We could write a whole list up here, couldn't we? But from the passage, let me give you three things that it says that he provides for us right here from the passage. The first thing, he makes me lie down in green pasture is what the Bible says. And he gives us in that contentment. We have contentment in that. And how many th think that contentment, many people are searching for a contentment in this world, but they never find it, right? They never find contentment. Many Christians are looking for contentment. They don't find it. We can have contentment, can't we? We can find it. We can have it. How do you make sheep lie down? 
Any shepherds here? And when you're in high school, I think they still take the aptitude test, don't they, in high school? They take the aptitude test, and after you take it, the counselor comes back and says, boy, you know, you took the test, and I can say you would be a great shepherd. You don't find that anymore in our world, do you? But, but even though we've learned a lot about shepherding sheep along the way, what we learn is that you ask, to ask, how do you make sheep lie down? Well, of course, you just tell them, lie down, right? And, and sheep, if you know anybody, they're going to lie down, aren't they? Lie down, they're going to lie down. But the Bible says he makes them lie down. So what does he do? Does he push them, push them down, get down, or does he take their legs out from underneath them? You're going to lie down. So he makes them lie down. How do you make sheep lie down? You make sheep lie down by filling their stomachs, right? You fill their stomach. That's the way you make them lie down. And he makes me lie down in green pastures. What it means is saying, he meets my needs. God meets all of my needs. He meets our needs so that I'm content, that I have everything I need, contentment. Not everything I want, but he provides everything that I need so I have contentment and I lie down because I got everything I need, right? That's what God gives us. The apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, For I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. A couple years ago, I tore down my old shed to build a new shed. The, the shed that I had, the door was about five feet high. The ceiling was just a little bit taller. And I'd hit my head constantly on the shed, nick it, cut it, and everything on the shed. So I said, enough is enough. And I tore down the old shed to build a new shed. Well, the Bible kind of talks about that. It sort of kind of talks about that, does it? It says, a man who tears down his barns to build new barns. And I thought about that and made me really ask, do I really need it? I mean, this shed is about a small garage, the size of a small garage, the one I built. It's not very large, but it, do I really need it? And do I really need, do, should I really be building this? And it caused me to remember a story of Egypt back in the fifth century that this man wanted to be holy before God, so he left the town, left the city life, and he went out to live in the desert to be holy before God. But every time he would come back into the city, he would go to the bazaars, to the marketplace, and he'd go up and down the row and into the shops and look at all the stuff that was there. And finally, some guy asked him, he says, why do you do that? You chose to leave the city to go out in the desert to be holy before God, but every time you come in, you go into the shops and go into the marketplace, the bazaars, and look at all the stuff that is there. And this is how the man responded. He said this, it delights my soul to see all the things that I don't need. To see all the things I don't need. See, for many people, when they think of contentment, they think of having all the right things. It's not about the right things, right? It's about a person. It's about the Lord. And when you have him, when you have Jesus, he makes me lie down in green pasture. That's what it's saying. When you have Jesus. Contentment doesn't come from perfect conditions. Contentment comes from God. Contentment of knowing God and knowing the will of God and following the will of God and doing what God calls us to do. That's where we find contentment. You can't find contentment in, if you have 10 garages or 10 sheds or whatever you might have or in perfect health. You can't find it in any of those things because those things come and go, don't they? They're not always around. But because our identity is in Yahweh, it's in Jehovah, we find contentment. We have it. So back to my shed. Let me go back to my shed. Let me finish that. I was thinking, should I have this shed? Should I be building this, or should I just continue to duck my head under the old shed? And I came to the conclusion, it's okay. In building a new shed, it's okay, because it really, when I realize that, as long as I understand that everything that shed has, it means nothing, building that shed. And everything inside of that shed means nothing, right? As long as I come to that conclusion, the shed re really means nothing, that everything inside that shed means nothing, that I don't get my identity from the shed, I don't get my identity from the things in the shed, but I get my identity from God, right? 
It's in Christ. It's in Yahweh. It's in Jesus Christ. That's where my identity comes from. It's in who he is. Not in the shed, not in the stuff in the shed. And it's okay. If my attitudes and, and actions are right with God, and my resources are right with God, when I'm giving my offerings and tithes to God, and my heart's right in building his kingdom, then it's okay that we have that stuff. See, it's not about what we have or what we don't have, or how little we have, or how great much we have. It's all about the grip, the grip that we have on the stuff. But we hold our hands like this and say, this is mine. I want more, and it's all mine. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to hold on so tightly. Then there's a problem. There's a real problem in our life because we're holding on so tightly. And we're never going to be content. No matter how many sheds or garages we have, no matter how much stuff we have in there, we're never going to be content because we're always going to want more. So it's all about the grip. It's all about the grip that we have in life. We're clenching our fists. It's about the grip. But if we open up our hands and say, yeah, I have this stuff, and God has blessed me with all this stuff, and I hold my hands open to God and say, God, I have all this, and my identity is in God. My identity is in Christ. And if all that stuff in the shed and all that stuff inside the shed and the shed and everything else that I own goes away and passes away, I still have my identity, right? Because my identity is in Christ. It's not in a shed. It's not in stuff. It's not in our belongings. It's not in our house. It's not in our job. Our identity is in Christ. And nothing changes in our identity. It never changes. If I know Jesus, my identity is in Christ. I don't have to worry about identity crisis because my identity is found in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Amen? It's found in him. The second one I noticed that he leads me beside quiet waters, the Bible says. That's peace. That Jesus offers peace. God offers you and I peace. Sheep are probably not the best discerners of, of what water to drink or, or best place to drink. They're, they're, they could be drank out of polluted streams or polluted waters. And they're not really uh, wise and find out if it's dangerous water or not. They go up by dangerous water and some animal could be there or dangerous water that the current's flowing and they fall into and they're, they're kind of taken away by the current. The Bible says that God, though, leads me beside quiet waters. And what that means, offering peace. Now, this peace is not in the absence of chaos. Many times it's often in the midst of chaos that God offers us at peace, right? In the midst of the storm that we have, God offers us peace. When we call on God, that's where we find peace, right in the midst of the storm as we're going through it. But if we don't call on God, we're not going to find his peace. It's right in the midst of that health crisis you're going through or, or whatever you might be going through, that financial crisis or job crisis or personal crisis, that circumstances, that when we call on God, we'll find peace right in the midst of that storm. If we don't, we're not going to find his peace. When we call on God, we can find that. David running from his own son Absalom would have been a moment, changed the uh, circumstances of, of what that he was in if he could but he couldn't. And right there in the moment of chaos, in the moment of all that turmoil that was going in and the son was chasing him down and wanting to kill him, he's able to write in Psalm 23, he has this peace. He's able to say, he leads me beside quiet waters. Think about that. He's able to say that, God, all this, I may lose my life, but I know you lead me beside quiet waters. I have your peace in the midst of all this. He can say that. We try to quench our thirst in all the wrong places sometimes. We drank polluted waters many times. And what he says, the Lord, our shepherd, he, when he gives us something to drink, he gives us clean water. He gives us pure water. And we will never thirst again. He's talking about spiritual. You and I will never thirst again when we drink the water that God wants to give us. The third one, he restores my soul. He provides that restoration. And that could be physical restoration that he's talking about here. Does anybody ever get tired? You, you planted your flower gardens. You planted your vegetable garden. You're working hard at work or wherever you work. 
and you get tired. And you say, man, you get weary. I'm so tired. But emotionally, you get emotionally, you get tired where you just get exhausted. You said, I don't have anything left to give. I'm so tired. It could be referring to that. It could be referring to that, the scripture is. We find many times in scripture, God will provide rest. Jesus said in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, he said, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. But I think the emphasis in Psalm 23, what he's really talking about, he restores my soul. He's talking about spiritual. God restores us spiritually. It says soul. It's a word that means self or my being or myself is what he's saying. He said he restores my soul. And he's talking about that soul that kind of has wandered, that's drifted away from God. He's talking about that kind of soul, one who's wandered away from the Lord and drifted away from him. If they drank from all the wrong places, they have sin in their life. And that sin can do so much damage in our life, right? Cause so much pain and guilt and shame in our life. And he's talking about that, that person. That David talked about that in Psalm 32. But he writes about it in Psalm 51. He says, my sin has caused my bones to ache. You ever been there? That my sin has caused it to ache. That this, that we feel that once we've sinned, we feel that distance from God. We feel that he's so distant. And, and boy, I try to approach him and I'm just so distant. And it causes me to ache. And it talks about prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. You ever feel that? All of us. Have you ever sinned? We've all sinned. Have you only sinned only once? So we've all felt it. We've all felt that distance when we sinned before God. And I just feel, man, God, I know you're right there, but you feel so, such a distance. I feel so far away from you, but I'm talking to you, but I don't think you're hearing me. It's that sin that's in the way of us, right? And that's what David was talking about. Many times that happens in our life. And we have that pain. We have the guilt. We have the shame. We have all those things in our life. We can't get rid of them. You can't get enough soap and wash yourself to get rid of it, right? There's nothing we can do. What happens, though, is what people really sometimes do. They try to offset that. They said, boy, I've really had a bad week, and I've really sinned, and I feel this distance, and, I, and I'm going to go to church, going to make it all right, and the church will make it right. Now, listen to me. I think everybody should be in church on Sunday morning. I think we should be in church, but the church can't make you right like that understand that. So we think, boy, I'll do any penance that someone gives me to do. I'll do that, and that'll make me right. The Bible says here in this passage that he, he, God is the one that restores my soul. He's the one who has to do it, right? In Psalm 19, verse 7, David says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. He restores. Hosea uses the same word that's used over a thousand times in the Old Testament. It talks about healing and health that takes place that God's moves in our lives, that we have that healing that takes place. We take this broken soul, this being, that's been messed up by our own sin. And, and so we, we try to shower, we try to clean, we try to do all kinds of things to clean ourselves up, but none of it works, right? We try to think, well, I'll just ignore it. And many times people get in sin, and what they actually do, they go further away from God. God's not listening to me, so I'll do my own thing. And when I get myself right, I come back to God. And it doesn't happen that way, guys. You're not going to clean yourself up. And God, is what he tells us is, bring, bring it to me. Bring yourself to me. That's where you're going to find your restoration. That's where you're going to find the cleansing. Bring yourself to me. David writes in Psalm 51, he says this, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And God does. We confess our sins. We bring it to him, and God restores us, right? And that's what we all need. Many times when we sin, we need restoration by God. And God promises to do that to each and every one of us as we come to him as believers in Jesus Christ. But if you are here today, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you need more than just coming. You need Jesus Christ in your life. Your restoration is found in Jesus. All of ours is. We come through Jesus recognizing that I'm a sinner, and I can't approach a holy, just God. 
and that Jesus came and he died on the cross for my sins. So now I can approach God through Jesus. And I can be restored, have my sins forgiven, and I can have a relationship with God, and I can be his, his sheep, and he can be my shepherd. But it's all found through one person, and it's through Jesus Christ, right? The only way we can have that restoration is through Jesus. Only through Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other way. The church can't do that for you. You, you should be in church every week. Be in church as much as you can. But the church, only one that can do that is Jesus. He restores us. That's what the Bible tells us. He's the one that does that. One last thing I want you to notice here. All the he's that are in this. It says he makes, he leads, he guides. It all comes back to one person, Yahweh, Jehovah. He's the one that does it. The things we want most in life are contentment. We want peace and we want restoration, right? That, those are the things that we want. And we, can, we can't accomplish those things through more effort, trying harder, working harder. We can't accomplish any of those things. But God does that. The Bible says Jehovah does that. He's the one that gives that to us. He provides for that for us. And all we have to do is recognize that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And that's what I want to leave you with today is that verse. And some of you have memorized Psalm 23. You've got it memorized. Some of you haven't done that. So what I want to do this morning is give you an opportunity to memorize that verse. And so I want to have this side. There's not as many on these sides today. But I'm going to have this side. You're going to say, the Lord is my shepherd. And this side, you're going to say, I shall not be in one. Okay? We're going to do it. We're going to do it. You're going to start first, and you're going to do it. Okay? We're going to do it. You guys ready? On the count of three. One. Are you awake? Are you guys awake? Okay. One, two, three. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Again, Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Again, my, my, my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Reverse it. You guys, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Let's say it all together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Let's let it Crossroads Community Church not only make Psalm 23 the most beloved song, let's make it the most believed song. Okay? Let's believe it, what it says there. Let's believe it. Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. We praise you, God, because you're a wonderful, magnificent, marvelous God. Awesome, awesome. Highly respected and revered in all your ways. And Lord, when we come to this word, Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the highest name given in Scripture of you, we don't even really know how it's supposed to be pronounced. That we come, Lord, in reverence to you and respect you. That, Lord, you would deserve all the glory and the praise. Lord, may our hearts and minds, Lord, just look up to you in all your, your ways, your perfect righteousness. And Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, as we have the word of God and we, we look at it, we translate it, the self-existent God. You don't need anything. You don't need us. You don't need anything. You don't need this world. You don't need anything. You have everything. You're self-existent. You don't need nothing. We're not. We need you. We desperately need you. We can't survive without you. This world can't survive without you. They think they can, but they can't. But you're the self-existent one, the creator of the universe, the covenant-keeping God who makes a covenant with us through Jesus that will be kept for all of eternity. God, we're so thankful you're the covenant-keeping God, the self-existent one, the creator of the universe. That, Lord, what you've set out to do in our lives through Jesus will come to pass because it's the only one that can make it come to pass is you. So the promises that you give us through Jesus will last for eternity because you will last through eternity. And the only one that can say that. There's no one else can say that. So we come to you and praise you. So, Lord, we find our rest in you. We find our peace in you. We find, Lord, who we are in you, our value in you. 
we find, Lord, that we are somebody, every one of us, if you know Jesus Christ, because we are in Christ, and that is our identity. Lord, let's stop looking to get our identity out of other things and stuff and belongings and possessions and what we have and our jobs and everything. But, Lord, our identity is found in you. That's who we are. That's who we are for all of eternity. What we do for our jobs and what we have here is very temporary, very short-lived. But what we have in you, that possession, the Lord is my shepherd and that we are his sheep is for eternity. And Lord, may we praise you for that. That should say it all for us. That's all we need to know, that the Lord, my shepherd, will provide, will protect, will guide me, will lead me, will bring me home safely. No, no matter what I'm going through, God, you will always be there for me. You will never grow tired. You will never grow weary. But you're there every moment, every day for me, for all of us that know Jesus Christ as our Savior, that you're always there. And one day you will bring us home to be with you. And we will be with you for all of eternity. Because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And we praise you and thank you so much for the truths from Psalm 23. That when David wrote that, Lord, what a, what a psalm that brought him so much joy. That brought him peace in a difficult situation that he was in. And Lord, may it bring us peace in our own lives. May it bring us contentment. May us find our rest and assurance in you, of what we have in you. That should be all we need. That should be sufficient, is to be in Christ. Because when we understand you, understand what we have in you, that we have everything. Everything that we need is found in Jesus. So we praise you. Lord, I pray for the person this morning that may not know Jesus Christ, their Savior. I pray, Lord, for their soul that they'd come to understand their sinner in need of a Savior. That Jesus died on the cross for their sins for them because he loves them. And they can have a relationship with God is through Jesus, by putting their faith and trust in Jesus. I pray for all of us, Lord, that may we were prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. That we wandered away from you. The Lord, that we right now, we'd realize, Lord, all we have to do is turn and confess our sins. And you promise to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to restore us. That's your promise. Not to, not to, to strike us down. That's not who you are. But you're a God who is restoration. You want to restore our hearts and minds and draw us closer to you because that's where you want us, right there. So you're doing every, you, everything you can to draw us closer to you, to bring us right there with you because you're our shepherd. You're the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd who loves us and desires us to be close to you as close as we can. So, Lord, give us that picture in our mind every day of our lives that we follow the good shepherd and we belong to you because we're your sheep. May they bring great assurance in our hearts and minds. And Lord, it's all because of Jesus Christ. It's all because we're in Christ. It's all because of Jesus that he left the throne of heaven and came to this earth. And he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and raised on the third day. And now all who put their faith and trust in Jesus find forgiveness of sins, finds that relationship with you, and now has a good shepherd. And we are your sheep. We praise you and thank you so much for Jesus. And Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.